They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now, they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two men power trip of This is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you and powered by Meowbox. Meowbox is a cat subscription box service full of surprises and delivered to your door every single month. And make sure you take a listen later on into this broadcast as we give you a special deal exclusively for listeners of the two-man power trip of wrestling. And with that being said, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, Primetime John Paz and John. Today on the show, we have somebody a part of a tag team that was way over in the 1990s. Way, way over. If you went to a WWF show and their music hit, you started waving your hands in the air like you just didn't care. And yes, I do use that joke in a little while as we welcome in Bobby Horn, a.k.a. Mo, a.k.a. Sir Mo of Men on a Mission. And we did learn a lot from Mo. He gave us some great insight into some of the happenings of Men on a Mission and why things went the certain ways that they did. But let me ask you quickly as we get into this, were you surprised with how much we did learn about Bobby Horn, a.k.a. Mo, and how young he actually really was during Men on a Mission's run? Yes, Chad. Sir Mo, if you will. Now, was I surprised with uh, how much more we learned about Bobby Horn, a.k.a. Mo? today i wouldn't say necessarily surprised but um some of the stuff i was surprised like how young he really truly was during the men on a mission run i didn't realize he was you know that young i mean you mean really just some of these guys you just don't know the age or or maybe we're too young to even think about it but now we're you know we're uh, we're old guys getting old um, old and gray and we're looking back and we're thinking how old was this guy doing this run and we're talking to mo and we're learning uh all about his career and all about his past. And uh, he was in his early 20s in that, uh, you know, 93, 94 run in, in 95, of course, as well, in, in the WWF. So pretty crazy to think about how young he truly was during that young during that run. And he was saying how immature he was and how, how much uh, mistakes he made. And obviously the, uh, the HBK incident, which I will get to in a little bit, or, you know, we both will actually get to in a little bit. But it is funny looking back and seeing how young him and uh, Mabel really were. Now, in our current run of uh, shooting guests, uh, I guess you can add Mo to it to a certain degree because there is a hell of a story in here about Shawn Michaels and how Mo was punished after an incident that happened in Europe between him and Shawn Michaels. But why don't you talk about maybe the missed opportunity to push men on a mission that came off that backstage incident with Shawn Michaels. Yeah, boy, the uh, the HBK story was crazy. I mean, it's, it's he goes into such extreme detail. It's great. I love how we keep getting these guys. I mean, I feel like we're very lucky on, on some of these interviews. We just keep getting these guys who are just straight shooters, no bullshit, straight answers, straight shooting, 
and they're going to tell it like it was and, and just give you a great, great story. And the HBK story with the backstage incidents with Mo is just great. And also it goes back to the point we're making about how young he was because, you know, HBK was more of a veteran, obviously, at that time. And he was basically looked upon like these, this young black guy that just entered the WWF. I mean, a lot of guys didn't know hardly anything about him. And Mo goes into great detail about this story, and it's just an amazing story. And he was basically punished big time for an incident, which he will get into with HBK. And it, it was a huge, huge, huge missed opportunity for men on a mission at the time because they were up for a big push, and it basically got killed due to this backstage incident with Shawn Michaels. So please, you're going to want to really listen to that one. That that might be my favorite story, you know, in the whole shoot. I mean, this whole shoot was just an amazing, uh, this whole interview, excuse me, which almost turned into a little bit of a mini shoot here. Just an amazing, but that was probably my favorite story. For sure, it's quite possibly yet another instance where we hear the click strikes again, but to me, that was another great straight shoot by Mo. but let's not look past the fact that he kind of you know, frankly says he is against a lawsuit by the widow of his tag team partner, Nelson Frazier, who is known as Mabel. And he's got some very candid comments about the lawsuits brought forward by not only Nelson Frazier's widow, but also the former uh, superstars that are suing Vince McMahon for liability of, you know, knowing of injuries and sending them out hurt and concussions and things of that nature. And if you go back and listen to our Dan Spivey episode, we know how Dan Spivey feels about those wrestlers who are uh, suing Vince McMahon currently for uh, that liability. But, you know, it's a hot topic in terms of the old guard. And Moe's got a very interesting take on it. And uh, quite frankly, like I said, it's a, it's a straight shoot and it's uh, kind of surprising. You know what? His take on the uh, Mabel, the Nelson Frazier lawsuit, was kind of shocking to me. I, I thought that he'd be more for it, but as you're going to hear, he's basically against it. Um, he gets pretty candid about it, and, and he goes into great detail about what he thinks about it and why he is against it. So, I mean, that's another great story from Mo. I mean, he was such a great talker, and it's such, such great to hear about what he thinks about his late great tag team partner in Mabel especially since we recorded the interview. It was actually the 18-month anniversary of his death. It was like uh, weird timing on our part to you know finally get a hold of him and be on that day. But it was great to reflect because you know I was his best friend. I was his former tag team partner. They rode the roads for many years together and had a run in the USWA, had a run in, uh, obviously, the WWF, and so on and so forth. But it was just great to um, get his take and his candid take on uh, what he thinks about that lawsuit and quite frankly uh, it's quite shocking that we got the answer we did from him but uh, it, w- it was it was also quite revealing look at that lawsuit if you really think about it and, and you know is it justified or is it not justified Mo's opinion is quite strong on the matter yeah justified or not it's a hot button issue it's a hot topic and it is not going away anytime soon with the more lawsuits that come forward other guys that jump on board and actually i mentioned dan spivey before but hell let's look at renee dupree and what he had to say a couple episodes back i mean he completely links to his concussion issues to what happened in wwe so some people have an argument and some people uh maybe jump on a bandwagon but we'll never know for sure because hey 
That was the nature of the business back then. You packed up your bags and you went to the next town. But speaking of packing up bags, how about we pack up a box? And that is a monthly subscription box courtesy of Meowbox and Meowbox.com. And if you use the code POWERTRIP10, that's POWERTRIP10 in all capitals, at checkout on Meowbox.com, you're going to get 10% off your first subscription courtesy of Meowbox and because you are a valued customer and listener of the two-man power trip of wrestling. And John, tell us a little bit more about Meowbox before you get into a little two-man power trip of wrestling business. Yes, Meowbox. They are the best in the business. They also have something called One Box Can, where every Meowbox purchased, you will donate a can of food to a shelter cat so that is great stuff by them also know that all edible items are made in the usa or canada so you know where your actual you know food items for the cat are coming from which is key especially key to me but i have a very picky cat named lucy and you know she's on a very strict diet so with my meow box I replace the edible items with toys and surprises, which is just a great, great option to do. So please go to meowbox.com, promo code POWERTRIP10 for 10% off your first subscription. Again, that's meowbox.com, promo code POWERTRIP10. Now, for some two-man power trip of wrestling business, please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Wrestling Pal and at Two Man Power Trip. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Please subscribe to us on iTunes as well. Leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Also, check out the feed for past episodes with the late, great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, Jesse the Body Ventura, Sergeant Slaughter, George the Animal Steel, Butchwhacker Luke, good old JR Jim Ross, Kane of the WWE, of course, and Dean Ambrose as well. So check out those episodes. Some great stuff on there. Also the website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. And don't forget to check us out on the i95 Sports Network. Type it into Google, i95 Sports Network, and search the two-man power trip of wrestling. We are live and in color with best of episodes every Monday night at 6 p.m. Eastern. So please, again, let's check us out on the i95 Sports Network. Now, without any further ado, I send it to an episode that was, quite frankly, a straight shoot which we love here on the two-man power trip. He's a former WWF superstar, former USWA superstar, and he's a former WWF tag team champion. He's formerly of the men on a mission. He is Mo. Please enjoy. Joining us on the line tonight is a guy who was a part of one of the most popular tag teams of the new generation in the WWF. That is Sir Mo, or Mo, or Bobby Horn. He's a great, legendary professional wrestler, great tag team wrestler. Very happy to have him on the show tonight. USWA, WWF tag team champion. Thank you very much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. Thanks for having me, guys. Now, today, oddly enough, uh, and you, you put a very touching tribute out on Facebook, uh, is the 18-month anniversary of the death of your partner, 
Mabel, Viscera, Nelson Frazier. Uh, I know it's kind of tough to sum it up, and we're going to get into your association with him greatly, but reflecting 18 months after his passing, what are your memories of Nelson Frazier that really stand out to you as a uh, as a tag team partner and also as a friend? Oh, man. Um, you know, it's just uh, he was a uh, just a wonderful person, uh, funny, um, talented man. I'm talking about at his at his heaviest weight, which was 560 pounds. Uh, he was doing a spin wheel kick, so extremely talented. Uh, uh, didn't have any problems with 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 trying. You know the things that uh, smaller guys would do. Um, uh, cared about people, cared about the business, cared about his fans. His fans were the biggest thing, and more importantly than anything, you know he loved and respected uh, with every part of him Vince McMahon. Hmm. Interesting. So I guess uh, you know, and it's been a big. Pretty much, uh, I hate to say in passing, you know, some of the bigger news story on him has been in the last, you know, 18 months since his death was the lawsuit that uh, his wife brought towards Vince McMahon and the WWE. And uh, it's kind of taken on a life of its own in the sheets, if you will. But, uh, you know, not right. to ask what your your take is on it, because I know since it's a legal matter, we don't really want to get too dicey. But uh, looking, you know, looking at this scenario as a whole, like, what do you think about, you know, how you know, certain, I mean, I guess you can use your own experience because I know you've had some issues yourself over the last couple of years, but uh, how somebody like Vince McMahon, who we did respect, you know, took, takes care of his employees after uh, their time in the company. Well, man, you know, uh, that's, that's a good question because uh, I've I've really thought about that myself, even with uh, some medical issues that I have myself and, and basically, man, um, you know, uh, you know, I worked there. I worked there for three years, and I never, I've never seen Vince McMahon force anybody to do anything they didn't want to do. Uh, I never seen Vince McMahon ask anybody to work hurt, um, though I've done it before myself. Um, as far as taking care of talent uh, after they leave the company, you know, uh, I think it's a great and noble thing, you know, the whole drug rehab thing. Um, the the medical stuff, man, I don't think he should be, I don't think he should be held responsible for that simply because here's the deal, man. Um, Nelson and I, you know, we wrestled in this business uh, more than three years before we went to WWE. You know what I mean? Uh, right. And then there was all the years after we left WWE. So, you know, if we wrestled three years together in WWE, and the whole three years that we wrestled there, you know, we worked every day, you know, every month, and we didn't sustain any major injuries the whole three years we were there. And then say, for example... We leave, and five years down the road, we dislocate a shoulder or we get a concussion or something, you know, that leaves us, you know, incapacitated, right? right. Do you honestly think that that's Vince McMahon's fault? 
Not at all. Not at all. Okay. So, so, so you leave W, you leave WWE. You go to let's just say, for example, WCW was still in business. You leave WWE. You go to WCW. <clears throat> the whole time you worked in WWE, you never had an injury. You go to WCW, and you're just plagued with injuries. You just, you just plagued with injuries. You go, you home, you sit at home for six, seven months. Contract runs out. WCW. You go back to WWE. And some of those injuries that you received in WCW start catching up with you while you're working in WWE. And so you eventually end up just having to, you know, leave the business because of those injuries, right? Right. Do you think Vince McMahon is responsible for that? It's hard to, uh, it's hard to peg the man for that. Right. Okay. My whole point, my whole point in asking those questions is, Man, there's there's a million and one of us guys that have worked for Vince and worked for Turner and worked for Crockett and worked for Bill Watts and worked for Joe Shit the Ragbag promoter over here or Jeff to the left or Eddie Damn Spaghetti and have, you know, in some way taken a chance, gotten hurt or whatever. Okay? Yep. Ten years removed from ten years removed from working for Vince McMahon. You know, we're sick, we broke down. You know, we may even die. Should Vince McMahon be held liable for that? It's very hard to say yes, and that's unfortunately. Or should we have a list of every single promoter that each one of us worked for and include every single one of those into that lawsuit? Right. Yeah, it's a, cum- it's a cumulative business lawsuit rather than just uh, a one singular individual, which I guess goes right to the, you know, the old, should there have been a pro wrestlers union, but that's, I mean, that's a, that's a whole nother show for a whole nother day because we could be sitting here for years <laughs> to debate that. Right. Although we, we all know that Jeff, the left is a, uh, he's a little stiff on his payoffs. I actually want to ask you, how's your health doing? And I know you've gotten back into the ring the last couple of months, but uh, how's it going? Well, with you? I know you had a, a little, a little bit of a rough stretch for a little while. Uh, well, you know, um, uh, I still suffer from renal failure. I still, uh, take that house three days a week, four hours and, uh, 20 minutes, a, uh, a pop Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And, uh, <clears throat> I'm, uh, at my highest weight since I left at my highest weight when I was in WWE, I weighed 330 pounds. But since I left there, I put on weight, and at my highest weight, I was up to 440 pounds. And so to get on the uh, kidney transplant list, of course, the doctors required that I lose weight. So now I'm down to about 340 pounds right now, and they want me to lose another 20 pounds, you know, which I'm, I'm on my way to that. But I'm still, you know, three, three days a week uh, going to dialysis. As far as the working again, you know, um, the the medical cost, the medical cost of a transplant, even with insurance, the twenty percent that you pay is thirty grand. Is the twenty percent that you pay? This is with health insurance. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now beyond that, the all the medications that you have to take. Uh, to keep your body from rejecting the transplant, and then you have to you have to make two doctor visits a week at the transplant. 
until until for 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 the rest of your life. Okay. The annual cost of doctor's visits and medication with insurance is still out of pocket for the patient. Thirty grand is the annual cost. So, you know, I, I I'm not a spring chicken anymore. You know, I'm not, and I'm not a millionaire. I never made that kind of money when I was there. So the the whole issue of me, you know, working more is just extra money to supplicate supplement that income to pay for those medical costs. I mean, my medication alone is expensive. Like this one medication that I take on a monthly basis just to be able to eat and stay healthy is like $1,200 for a month's prescription. For a month's prescription. So, you know, it's it's, it's, it's just uh, uh, really uh, what happens is Wrestling just becomes a way of life, you know. So, health-wise, uh, other than my my geek problems, I have no other health. All my other uh, health health uh, heart and lungs and all that stuff are you know healthy. Uh, my kidney uh, uh, failure was a result of wrestling for. Uh, a number of years with high blood pressure, not knowing it. Hmm. Well, it's good to see you know you're you're on the you know the right path there, and and hopefully you know aren't well on your way to being you know healthy and ready to go again. But if I could go yeah. back to your uh, wrestling days and speak about something that probably wasn't so healthy, and that was in the WWF locker room, the Click with the recent Click DVD that just recently came out. Um, okay. They kind of, they kind of talk about a story that I believe that you've talked about in the past about, um, you know, them holding events and holding up the show and, and stuff like that. They put it in a completely different light than I really remember going down, but what really happened okay. with the click? What really happened with the click and backstage? Did they really hold up the show? I think it was in uh, Indianapolis. You know, um, you know, I, I remember when that happened, but I was so far removed from it at the time because of issues that I'd had with uh, Shawn Michaels. And it was a situation where it was really a situation where uh, some of the other guys in the clique felt like, you know, they weren't, they, they should have been making, you know, X amount of dollars regardless of, you know, in other words, Here's here's what here's an example. Uh, you've heard in the past of you've heard in the past conversations about Kamala working Hulk Hogan, right? Yep. Where he worked Hulk Hogan on top main event the pay per view, and Kamala get a check for fifteen grand, and Hogan get a check for sixty grand. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So basically, what that was kind of about uh, was you know uh, you know Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, you know, those guys were, you know, real tight with Sean Michaels and all those guys were in the clique. Well, you know, here they are working the top guys, some top guys, but they're they're younger in the company. So, you know, say, for example, if Kevin Nash is working Bret Hart and Bret Hart's making $4,000 a night, then Kevin Nash felt like he should make $4,000 a night. 
know what I mean? Yep. You know, two two people two you know, take two people to tango, so you know, so I, I think that was part of the issue. You know, that was just part of it. But uh you know, those guys they controlled a whole lot, man. It it always boggled my mind how how Vince McMahon being the genius that he that he is, you know, would allow you know, himself to be controlled by, you know, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's happened on quite a few different occasions, but now I have grown in the business. I understand. Like I would ask the question, why would you let Jeff Jarrett hold you up for, you know, X amount of dollars to put China over in the pay-per-view? Or why would you let uh, Ultimate Warrior hold you up for X amount of dollars for working at SummerSlam, right? Right. It's a, a clear cut answer. The the answer to it is uh being who you are as this man, if you give the fans your word you're gonna give them something, then you give them something. You give them exactly what you promise you're gonna give them. And even if that means you gotta bust your own balls to do it, then that's what you do. He promised Warrior and Hogan together at that SummerSlam. So, you know, Warrior held him up. So what do you do? You promise the fans something, right? So you keep mm-hmm. your word. You you do whatever you got to do. You give the fans what they want. And then afterwards, then then let everybody else that screwed you over pay the piper. You know. So what happens afterwards? They come back through the curtain. Your ass is fired. You know. Bye. You know. But you know the fans can never say Vince McMahon promised Hogan's warrior, and we didn't get that. Well, Vince McMahon promised Jared against China, and we didn't get that. You see what I mean? Yep. Oh, yeah. So, so by the same token, if you've got these shows booked around the country with Shawn Michaels, Kevin Nash, and Scott Hall, and they're telling you they're not going to work, and you've already put this money out to advertise, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep. And you work it out with them, you work it out with them, you get it done, and then you, you sit back and decide. Then after that, Okay, now what do I do? Hmm. You see what I mean? Yep. So if, if you if you if you look at some of the advertisement now, I think this is I think this is a brilliant strategy. But if you look at some of the advertisement now on some of the sh- some of the uh, the just the local house shows, it just it just has it just has WWE superstars and you know who's scheduled to be there, but not really so much what the matches are going to be. Hmm. So they can always change it. You can always, you know, put on whatever show they want to put on that particular night. Because it used to be in the past, if 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 John Cena was working Kevin Steen in an upcoming pay-per-view, right, for six to eight weeks prior to that pay-per-view, they would work every house show against each other. And they don't do that anymore. They don't do that anymore. Yeah, they don't do that anymore. So, so they're, they they've learned they've learned also how to how to manipulate it and make it work where they don't get backed into a corner. You know what I mean? They don't. You know. So, it would be the same thing as Brock Lesnar getting mad and walking out right on the contract. Hmm. Yep. Uh, well, what do you do now? What you do is. You know, to protect yourself from that, as you go out on TV, you fire his ass. Yep. 
you know, or you you suspend him indefinitely, and then that that means that he's suspended indefinitely. If he comes back, if we're able to work it out, he comes back. He comes back. If not, it's no big deal. And it looks like it was the company's decision as opposed to a decision by one of the talents to say, screw you. You know, the only person that's gotten away from gotten away with that here recently, I guess, would be CM Punk. And the way he left. That's definitely, definitely true. And if I could uh, roll back a little bit to the click, was the story of them kind of being afraid of you or wrestlers being afraid of you and Mabel true? Because um, there seems to be a little bit of, you know, stories floating around that, um, you know, maybe they didn't want to work you or, or, you know, this or that. But do you think that maybe that they were actually scared of you guys? Well, here's what happened. Um, Nelson and I, when we uh, got our job and uh, Jeff Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett's daddy, Mr. Jerry Jarrett, uh, pulled us to the side one day. We was getting ready to leave USWA, pulled us to the side, and, and, and he was giving us, he was giving us, some advice on, on longevity, how to survive in the environment. He pulled us to the side and said, hey, guys, um, you know, to survive, you know, go in there, mind your own business, do you know, do what you're told, and and at the end of the night, go home. Stay out of everybody's way. So what happened was when Nelson and I first got there, we would come in, we looked at the, uh, come into the show or, or the TV, we'd look at the board, we'd find out who we were working, we'd find those guys, and we'd sit down with those guys and, you know, go over the match or whatever, uh, comes uh, to go work, we'd go work, come back, thank those guys, get dressed, go home, or on to, to the hotel or to, to the next town, okay? So we did that, we did that for, for the first few TV tapers. Well, what happened is, you know, you're 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 you you've gone through these T V tapers and, and you're using all extras, but now it's time for you to work in the program with, you know, some of the top talent. Well, you you know, you've not spent any time at all getting to know any of them or them getting to know you. You see, so just imagine if you walk into a you walk into to a job and and you got these two guys, one six foot eight, five hundred sixty pounds, and one about six foot three hundred forty pounds, and they tell you you got to wrestle these guys, and you don't know nothing about them. You don't know you. I mean, you all you know is what you've seen on TV, but you don't know anything about them. You don't know if these are the kind of guys that, that you know quick tempered or or whatever, because you know you you're putting your body in their hands. You know what I mean? So it became an issue because nobody nobody knew us, and we didn't hang out with anybody. So we didn't have no friends. We weren't cool with nobody. So it became an issue, and we showed up at uh, at a TV tape in White Plains, New York. And Vince McMahon calls us into into his office and says, um, "I think men on a mission need to take a hiatus." You know, and I've told the story before. I didn't know what the hell a hiatus was, but basically, in not so many words, he was he was kind of letting us go, you know, and uh, we, 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 we discussed and wanted to know, you know, what the problem was. We didn't know there was a problem. But then Vince McMahon himself said, you know, I'm just going to put it to you guys like this. Guys you work with are a bunch of pussies. They're afraid of you. They don't know anything <laughs> about you, so they're not, they're not, they don't want to get in the ring with you. 
know. So from that moment forth, we had reintroduced ourselves to the company that night before the TV tapers. And then every night after the shows, we went and hung out with everybody, you know, build a rapport, got cool with everybody, you know. So so then things 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 mellowed out, you know, things got, you know, things were good. But, you know, in all of that, in all of that, you know, uh, several people got injured in the ring, you know, which which was which was a black guy on us as well. The problem so much wasn't that somebody got injured. The problem was what happened after they got injured. Like, say, for example, if you if you accidentally thumb somebody in the eye, you know what I mean. The, mm-hmm. the 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 appropriate thing to do is to make sure that they know that you didn't do it on purpose. You apologize, and if there's you know if there's anything that you could do to make it up to them. That 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 would be the the way to handle that situation. When somebody got hurt, you know what I mean. Us being young, not really knowing the way we handled it was we we went and buried our head our heads in the sand, so to speak. You know what I mean? Like, damn, you know, beat ourselves up without, you know, instead of beating ourselves up, we should have been going to the person saying, "Man, you okay? Sorry, it was an accident." You know, you know, you know. You, you follow where I'm coming from? Yep. Oh, yeah. So, 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 eventually, what that did is that led to a lot of heat, and and eventually, that is what led up to, to Nelson and I leaving uh, right after the Royal Rumble in '96. Hmm. Was there a backstage fight? Because I know you kind of alluded to it before, but with Shawn Michaels, did you guys have a backstage fight? You know what? Um, it wasn't a it wasn't a fight. What happened? What, what happened was, and I wasn't, and I, and I didn't know this until uh, years later. I I didn't know this until years later. Nelson told me, but we were overseas uh, in Israel, and it was during the uh, Passover, and uh, it was one night we was at a, at an event, and Nelson fainted in the hallway. And so they, uh, because we were overseas, uh, they wouldn't take you to to a hospital there. So they just took Nelson back to to the hotel. And we were working a program at the time against the head shrinkers. And so the agent comes to me and says, okay, uh, Nelson's out for the night. So, Mo, you're going to work a singles match against Sam of the head shrinkers. You know, uh, and Fatu, you're not going to work at all. Uh, of course, Fatu didn't like that idea. He was pissed off, and he was ranting and raving about it or whatever. And uh, so I'm standing there going over the match with Samu, and Shawn Michaels comes out of the, the shower. And, and, man, he hit me. He hit me in the back harder than I've ever been, ever been hit on a football field. He just knocked the hell out of me. And... My my response was <clears throat> uh, the operative word would be excuse me, and his response was fuck excuse me. Uh, you guys have no work ethic, and I'm I'm confused at this point. I don't I don't even know why he done it or you know what he's talking about. But then he goes on to say, 
and you guys, you young guys come up here, you don't have no fucking work ethic, and, you know, he said, uh, your fucking partner, he falls out in the hallway, all he had to do was get his fat ass up and just walk down to the ring, you do all the work any fucking way, you know, and then there would be a tag match tonight instead of this bullshit singles match. So he was going off, he was, he was, he basically was mad because he thought Nelson should have just sucked it up, went to the ring, stood on the side, and we go out there and work, you know, the tag matches we had been working. I mean, I take the heat anyway. We go out there and work the tag matches I've been working. So that, that's what he was pissed off about, and he took it out on me. And my response, being the man that I am, is if you put your hands on me again, I'm going to beat your fucking ass. Was that, should I have said that to Shawn Michaels? Hell no. I mean, how fucking stupid can you be, be, you know? You a rookie and he's one of the top guys in the company. Should I have said that? No. Did I know that then at the time? No. Uh, did I pay for it? Yeah, dearly. I paid for it, you know. And uh, so what, what did it get me? It got me pulled off TV for nine months and I had to travel on the road for nine months and not work. And because I was on the road traveling nine months and not working, I wasn't getting paid for working. I was getting a per diem, but I wasn't getting paid for working. So for nine months, I pretty much, you know, uh, starved myself. It's pretty much starved. And uh, in that nine months, got highly depressed and uh, attempted suicide. So... Was there a fight? No, there wasn't a fight. Did I get assaulted? Yes, I got assaulted. Did I respond? As a man, yes, I responded and told him, you know, don't put you, you know, not to put his hands on me again. He never did, you know, after that. And, and, you know, uh, nobody ever after that, you know, put their hands on me. But the fact is I was punished for something, you know, and I was there to work. You know, I I got the hell knocked out of me. I went out there and worked, got my eardrum busted in the match, never complained about it, and then I come back to the States, and for nine months, I'm totally taking off TV, and I'm totally having to go to every house show for nine months and sit there and watch the matches. That's how horrible it was, but that that is the God's honest truth about that matter. You know, uh, so um, it, it was never a fight. I, I never raised my hand to the guy. He assaulted me, and I just told him, don't ever put his fucking hands on me again. You know, and if he did, then, of course, then, you know, there's 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 three sides to me. There's the, the, the black, militant, street, ghetto-ass, you know, person that grew up in the projects and don't give a damn about nobody. And then there's a politically correct, you know, play the game, follow the rules, you know, side. And then there's just the, the real me, which is kind, gentle, you know, love all children, all humanity, black, white, whatever, you know. And But that night, he, he, he pulled out the ghetto side of me. And, you know, uh, like I said, I didn't touch him. But if he had, if he had put his hands on me again, they probably I probably got locked up overseas because I would have tried to kill him. I really would have. Yeah, because I, I mean simply because man, because number one, 
he was he was one of these guys that I I, I admired that I looked up to, and for him to assault me, you know, I can understand. This is going to be kind of a crazy ass analogy, but I can understand how hurt a woman would be if she got the hell slapped out of her by a man that she adored. You know what I mean? Can you imagine, mm-hmm. you know, adoring somebody and then they hurt you in that way physically? So, mm-hmm. so that that that's what happened. You know, I respected this guy. I looked at this guy even to this day. I think he's one of the greatest wrestlers that ever put on a pair of wrestling tights. You know, but for that night, that moment, he he put his hands on me. Number one, and he didn't have a he didn't have a legitimate reason to do that. You know, and so, and but then the 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 icing on the cake was he assaulted me, and I got punished for it. Hmm. Well, in in the WWF at that time, did you seek influence? You know, from anybody? Maybe like a suggestion? Like, did you? I heard a story that you, I guess, asked the Macho Man Randy Savage, and he was kind of a backer of you guys, and he kind of uh, gave you some advice, I guess. Well, uh, that. That that same night in that same whole little scenario there, after Shawn Michaels had gone off, uh, the first person that the first person that responded that was there was Bret Hart, and Bret Hart pulled me to the side and he said, "Listen, he said you didn't do anything wrong. He said, but you got to fix this situation." And I said, "I said, what do you mean?" He said, "What you need to do is you need to pull Shawn Michaels to the side." and apologize and tell him you didn't mean no disrespect. At the time, I didn't think about it, didn't understand what he was talking about, where he was going with it, you know, but I just did what he told me to do. I pulled him to the side later and apologized, told him I didn't mean no disrespect. His response to that was, fuck you, and just walked off. That was his response. Huh. I went to, I went and sat down. While I'm sitting there, Macho Man's putting his boots on, and he says, and I'm like, you know, I'm I'm kind of talking to myself at the time, you know, because I, I I'm just not understanding, and uh, I'm like fuck this, I'm I, you know I'm ready to quit this bullshit or whatever, and that's when Macho was like, brother, brother, let me tell you something, brother, no matter what happens, no matter what you do, don't ever take yourself out of the game, brother, don't ever take yourself out of the game, and I really didn't understand. You know, I'm I'm young. I'm 23 years old. This this is my first big job. I, you know, I, none of this stuff was covered in the training. You know, so I'm really I'm really just I'm really just looking at it from a uh, from a from a from a street thug you know point of view. Like you know, do I knock the hell out of my boss and lose my job? Because that's kind of the way you think of it when you know somebody that's over you like that. You know, do you knock the hell out of your boss? And lose your job, or you just suck it up. You know, you know, it's almost like, you know, degrading. You know, pumping yourself, counting yourself down. You know what I mean? Just to keep the job. You know, so that, that was the worst part. Is you know, it's almost like somebody took my manhood from me, and there was nothing I could do about it. You know, the alternative would have been to beat his ass and just quit. That would have been the alternative. Yeah, that showed uh, great restraint on your part. But I got to say, and, uh, and to kind of just lighten the mood a little bit, that sounds exactly like what I think we could all picture the Macho Man saying, too, in that voice uh, the same exact way, because that's a great uh, inspirational quote. 
by uh, by the Macho Man. But another great thing about the Macho Man was he was on commentary as you guys were starting to make your debut and uh, and the vignettes started playing for you guys uh, coming and it was uh, it was very highly played up and we will get into your time uh, prior to the WWF but we'll just stick with it since we're we're in it right now but uh, when okay. they pitched the vignettes to you guys uh, what did you think because they were highly impactful and for that time there weren't many uh, videos of that style that the WWF was doing at that time and it seemed like you guys were coming for a while and you were coming pretty hard and with a vengeance. Well, you know, we uh, with Macho, uh, I mean, cause he was there at the studio uh, when we were shooting those those vignettes, and he he was he was a real cool cat, man. We always had a great relationship with him. Uh, you know, I mean, we did the one uh, Lex Express video with Macho, uh, and uh, so we spent a whole day we spent a whole day in the studio with him doing that and and some other stuff on those videos, man. Uh, this was at a time when uh, they were trying to figure out what they were going to do with Shane McMahon. And so Shane McMahon was in charge of doing those vignettes, you know, putting them together and doing the vignettes. And uh, so we 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 spent a whole day, man. I, I guarantee we spent a 12-hour, 12, 13-hour day in the studio uh, in front of a green screen, creating all those different videos, man. Uh, doing doing the rap part of it, and then Shane McMahon and and a video crew went out into New York City to the subway and to the parks, and you know, pretty much to the projects, to the ghettos, man, and 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 got all that video footage and put those things together because uh, they really wanted this thing to. You know, this it, it, they was really trying to pump it up because Nelson and I, it was the first time we'd wrestled as babyfaces. We'd wrestled our, our entire, you know, career up to that point as heels. So coming in and having to just be guys and laugh and be happy and dance and <laughs> man, it was a lot of work to that. That the very first day <clears throat> when we made our debut, Vince McMahon probably spent. <clears throat> Uh, and I mean, Vince McMahon himself spent at least four hours with us, you know, putting their choreographing from the time we walk out the curtain to when we step through the ropes to, I mean, if you look at the very first uh, debut match, it's like we come out and we do the throw your hands in the air and trying to be on cue with that, try to walk step between the ropes at the same time and, walk to one part of the ring and back to Nelson and another part. I mean, it totally whole thing Vince McMahon uh, wanted choreographed from A to Z. That's how much he was, that's how much he wanted to put into it. You know, and, uh, and, and it took probably about the third TV taken. People really caught on and he, he took his hands off and said, just do your thing. And from there, it was just us. Yeah, and totally, totally over. I mean, you guys were one of the uh, one of the highlights, to say the least. You know, for that that era where you know there was kind of a transition period where, you know, the uh, the old guard was kind of stepping aside and the new generation was starting to come forward. But one thing I'm, I'm actually kind of curious about with Vince and his involvement with uh, your entrance and everything, because it was such a standout. I guess it's kind of hard to picture Vince throwing his hands up in the air and waving them like he just doesn't care. But uh, how much? Of, 
<laughs> how much of that did Vince really, uh, you know, did he, he push you guys to do, or was it like show him what we can do and see if he likes it? Uh, it was, it was, um, you know, the, the biggest thing was stepping together, you know, and, and when we do anything, we do it together. So, uh, you know, Oscar, we followed Oscar's rap. So whatever Oscar said, do on the rap, that's what we done. So when he said, throw your hands in the air, you know, we was throwing our hands in the air. In the beginning, the only person that didn't react to nothing that Oscar said was Mabel. Mabel's role was from the time he walked out of the curtain in the beginning was to walk out there with his arms folded and just be mad, be just be mad at the world because of his name. You know, he, right. that, if, you look, if you look, he come out there with his arms folded, he just looks like he's mad at the world. Then about the third, about the third weekend, you know, he starts to get this smile, you know, and then slowly starts dancing and all of that stuff. So he's kind of getting used to being called Mabel, and so he's loosening up. So, so instead of being a mean badass, he's just a funny, happy, don't piss him off badass. Right. Now, it's kind of funny, too, uh, you know, where I'm going to go with this, but, you know, okay. you guys had such a reputation for being a hard tag team. And like you said, this is the first time that you guys were faces. So take us into the locker room at Survivor Series 1993 when they give you the, the doink headdress and the face paint, <laughs> and they say, it's time to become men on a mission doink. What was your thoughts on that, and what are your memories of that pay-per-view looking back? Well, you know what, man? <clears throat> it was our very first pay-per-view, and we didn't even know we was on the pay-per-view. You know, we, we thought that, you know, it's our pay-per-view. We're not advertised to be on the pay-per-view, that we were just there, you know, to to spectate, you know. Like they have all talent show up at the pay-per-view, whether you're on it or not. And then we're just sitting there in the locker room, and somebody says, comes to us and says, hey, guys, y'all need to go to makeup. And we're like, go to makeup? What the hell are you talking about? What are we doing? You know, go to makeup. We done looked at the board and it just says four doors. It don't, you know, there's men on a mission on there nowhere. It was like, they was like, go to makeup. So we go to makeup. And the first thing that we do, they say, sit down in the chair. And they start painting us up. And we're like, what is this about? And they're like, well, uh, you two guys with Oscar and the Bushwhackers are going to be the four doors tonight. And, <laughs> it, it, it was just—it was so stupid, man. We was like, "Are you kidding me? Really?" I mean, I mean. So we thought, like, man, this has got to be a rib, right? Like, I mean, really? You, you all? We just got here. And you're clowning us already? You know, <laughs> literally clowning us, right? So, so you know, we get the makeup on, and then we go see Vince, and Vince is like. Guys, you could do it. Just we just want you to have fun. We don't. It's not. It's not supposed to be a uh, uh, a serious thing, you know. Find find the find the funniest ways to beat each other, you know. Slip on a banana peel. Throw the uh, the 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 pail of confetti, you know. Uh, use the turkey, you know. Use the scooter. I mean, they pretty much said, "Mo, we want you somewhere doing the match." 
the circular ring with the scooter. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? And I'm, here I am in the ring, circling the ring with a scooter, and the scooter's broke. The wheel's going one way. I'm trying to go the other way. I'm like, it, it was just, it was, it was so stupid, man. It was so stupid. But yet it was so entertaining. When you look back at it afterwards, it's like, that is the funniest, dumbest shit you ever seen in your life. But, but it worked, you know, it worked. And, oh, yeah. uh, I, I that uh, I think what that did for us was let people know that hey, you know those are some big guys, but you know they cool. They you know they could be funny. You know what I mean? It's not you know they're so big that you should be intimidated by them. You know, and so and then of course that was like our first big match. You know, we worked with Bam Bam and Booger and and the Head Shrinkers. So and we all had fun and nobody got hurt. And so that also was a feather in our cap helping us with the boards. So, you know, life life after that was easy up until the the summer of ninety four with the Shawn Michaels uh issue. Right, yeah, and it's funny, you know, you I gotta say, it shows the mark of a professional because you sold it like a million bucks. And you were out there having a great time, and you were on that scooter, and you definitely uh, you did your thing. But you know, <laughs> I hey, hey, I gotta give you credit. Hair, right? <laughs> <laughs> I gotta give you credit where credit's due. But you know, I guess all things, you know, as they say, uh, you know, it's done for a reason. And following right. that, in the start of 1994, is when you got the big program with the Quebecers, and you guys were having great uh-huh. show matches, and you guys were going all right. over the world to England, where you won. I I can only put it sometimes as a, a somewhat unrecognized tag team championship win against the Quebecers because it was a two-day reign, recognized uh-huh. on TV, but never brought up ever again. Why? Well, you guys were so over. Why is it? Why was it a two-day reign? How come it was never brought up uh, that it was a, a full-blown title victory? And, you know, was there any plan to go forward after that? Well, there were um... – there were a couple matches on TV uh, where, uh, like, for example, the match me against uh, Owen Hart, it was mentioned about the Tag Team Championship on TV. Uh, I think uh, Ted DiBiase and uh, Stan Lane were doing the commentary. And Stan Lane always pushed that and, and pushed this, put put that over. Uh, it was mentioned. It was mentioned a, a couple times on TV, but just kind of, kind of faded away. Uh, but here's 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 the backstory to all of what nobody knows, and you know this is this this being the the anniversary, you know, of the 18 month anniversary of Nelson's death. God rest his soul. This is the backstory of all of it. Um, during during the new generation era was at the same time Vince McMahon was having um the steroid trial. Remember this, right? So of course they were we we were we were getting drug tested two, three times a week. And back during that era, if you failed a drug test, if it was like a uh like a steroid or a cocaine thing you know, a narcotic failure of a drug test, you immediately got suspended. 
right? But if you failed a drug test, first offense, if you failed a drug test and you had marijuana in your system, THC in your system, then you would get fined. It'd go like 1,000, 3,000, 5,000. Up to a certain point, then once you get to your, your, I don't know, fifth or sixth violation, then you were suspended. You follow me on that? Yep. Okay. So uh, uh, a member of our team, uh, which I'll, I'll, I'll uh, which I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll, you know, just remain nameless. You know, uh, in, you know, people just have to figure out or just wonder which one of us it was. But a member of our team loved smoking the wacky weed. Loved it. <laughs> <laughs> just loved it. So, uh, and and because they loved it, you know, uh, J.J. Dillon came to me one day, came to us one day and said, listen, I'm just going to tell you all a scenario. You know, so so y'all's minds won't wonder why or why not. He said, uh, let's just say we put the tag team on a particular uh, tag team, on a particular team, we put the tag team titles on, on Sunday in the pay-per-view. And then let's just say you go to a house show on Monday, and Monday you take a drug test, and then on Tuesday when we get the results back, uh, one member of the tag team is got to be suspended for eight weeks. Right? Right. So why are we going to take a chance, a risk, of putting the tag teams on, tag team titles on somebody if there's going to be a possibility of us having to take the belts off because one member of the team gets suspended? Huh. Interesting. And that was... was that was the whole back right there. But you a lot know, of I mean, people, kind of... a lot of people, a lot of people would, a lot of people would, uh, a lot of people would try to spin it and make it seem like, oh man, you know, they held y'all back because y'all were black, blah 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 blah. But you know, you, you got to at, at some point you got to take responsibility and you got to tell the truth. And the truth is, rather be men on a mission or the Hardy Boys, or the Dudley Boys, or Edge and Christian as a tag team, if there's a tag team and one member screws up, it's going to affect the whole tag team. You know what I mean? Right. So, and that was the issue. That's why it was on one day and off a couple of days later. It was given because it was deserved, but it was taken away because at the same time, there was an issue that needed to be resolved. And so by the time the issue got resolved, you know, by the time the issue got resolved, all this other stuff had happened with with, 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 with Shawn Michaels, right? Right. It, uh, I'm just taking you through this. 94 is when we got the tag belts. All right? Another tour overseas in 94 is when the issue with Shawn Michaels happened. And so I'm out for nine months. So when those nine months are up, we roll around to 95 with the Royal Rumble. Nelson and I have decided because, you know, this is driving me crazy, right? We've decided that we were going to leave in, 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 in January of 95. We were just going to leave. 
you know, I I had been on the shelf for nine months, so it just it, it wasn't going the way we wanted. And the deal to keep us there and thus not leave was King of the Ring. Hmm. And that's the backstory. You know, it's funny. It's uh, it's a very uh, diplomatic way of JJ explaining that to you. But from an outsider's point of view, from the stories that everybody's heard, if they weren't going to put the belts on somebody because of uh, you know an issue like that, then there would be a lot of people that might not be walking around with belts uh, ever. You know, just based off of you know what what's been out there. But that right. heel run obviously changed the game uh, for you guys and let you go back to being you know, a little bit more natural to what your original characters were when you guys got together. Now, when that was pitched right. to you guys, what did they tell you specifically? Because obviously the rocket was going to be put on Mabel, but what did they tell you they were going to do for Sir Mo and how you were well, going to factor in now? Well, see, what happened was uh, it was it was almost... It was, I don't want to use the word forced. Forced, you know what I mean? We basically had sat down... Uh, Nelson and I decided, look, we were going to leave. Uh, uh, we had had a couple conversations with somebody down south. You know, at this time, they were slinging a lot of money down south. And uh, so we basically were going to leave. And, uh, uh, I mean, they weren't doing anything for me at the time. So, I mean, I didn't have anything to lose. I'm getting, basically, I'm, I'm getting 200 bucks a night. Pretty much, that's all I was getting. You know, and I'm still having to pay for a hotel and rental car, you know, and be on the road, you know what I mean? Right. You know, so that 200 bucks a night was probably equating to about 50 bucks a night by the time you take out expenses and and the tax on that 200 bucks. So basically we we got to the building, Royal Rumble 95, and uh, we saw Vince. And at this time, man, Vince Vince was very approachable. You could say Vince... He need to talk. You know, if he wasn't talking to somebody at the time, he'd be like, yeah, come on. We went into his office, and we said, Vince, first thing we want to do is tell you thank you. We appreciate, you know, the opportunity, <clears throat> the you know, the, the chance that you've given us here. We just think it's, you know, since you guys ain't doing anything with Mo, uh, we just think that, uh, you know, it's time for us to go. And Vince McMahon leaned back in his chair, and he said, I can't let you guys do that. He said, uh, he said, you guys are still young. You still got good legs. He said, uh, he said, I don't want you to go. I want you guys to stay. He said, so, uh, let's just figure out what we need to do to, to get you guys to stay. You know, and then he leaned forward and his first thing was, you know, uh, what if I, uh, drop the belts on you guys at WrestleMania 11, you know, put Mo back to work or whatever. You know, and then and in that moment, we asked him about the whole Shawn Michaels thing, and he said he didn't have any knowledge of it. Hmm. So we just, you know, looked at each other and said, "Okay, you know, we just all we could do is take him at his word." And uh, so that sounded okay, you know, you know, WrestleMania eleven, we get the belts or whatever. So you know, that conversation was cool. All right, we'll go with that. And then uh, we left there. And then a few minutes later, he calls us back into his office. He says, oh, guys, I apologize. He said, uh, uh, I forgot that I had promised Owen Hart something when he came back. And uh, this is when Owen and, they put Owen and Yoko together. Right. 
and they and they and they beat they won the tag belts at WrestleMania eleven. And uh he said, uh, I promised Owen that I would do something with him. So uh he said, Well what about this Nelson? He said, What about if I give you the king of the ring? You know, of course you win the king of the ring and then you get a main event match at SummerSlam. Well who's gonna who's gonna turn that down, man? You know what I mean? You're yeah, exactly. King of the ring, and you're gonna get a you know a heavyweight championship match at SummerSlam, and, and the outcome that's just gonna be based on how things are looking, you know, going into that. And uh, so that's like, okay, that's that's good, you know. Nelson's like, that's good, and I, you know, I'm happy for him. But then Nelson looked at Vince. He said, Vince, he says, says that's good for me. He says, but what does that do for Mo? You know what I mean? And uh, Vince was like, well, you know, you'll be the king and he'll be certain, he'll be right there with you the whole time, you know, not in the background. He'll be right there with you. And you know, to it, you guys will still do some tag stuff, you know. And uh, and there was a plan. There was a plan. There was a plan that everything, everything gets changed, man. But there was a plan where the, the, the tag belts, were on Yoko and Owen. They were going to be taken off of Yoko and Owen by the Allied Powers, Lex and Davy Boy, who were then going to a program against me and Nelson. That was the long term thing. Okay? So we build all the way up to that, to that in your house, to that in your house, and then shortly after that, uh, right after we had the tag match, Nelson and I against the Allied Powers, uh, 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 Lex leaves and goes wow. to WCW. Man, oh man, so what, what's the, the timing on that? <laughs> right. So, so, so then the week after that is when we turn Davy Boy from a babyface in a tag match with Kevin Nash against Kevin Nash. You see, so that whole thing had to be spent too. So you know there was a long term plan, but things happen and things change, and then you know. So, so I mean, I was okay. I I, I was I was okay. I was happy with the Sermo thing because number one, I didn't have to go out and wrestle every night, but I was back on TV and I was in the middle of everything, and we were getting top billing. You know we. You know, we we pretty much were anywhere from main event to semi main every night with the whole King Mabel thing. There was there was a whole like twelve day tour where the main event was me and Nelson against Kevin Nash and Shawn Michaels. So you know, I mean, how can you how can you not be proud of yourself to headline Madison Square Garden? Exactly. You know what I mean. So. Uh, you know, yeah, he got the, uh, you know, he got the the king of the ring and and, and the the big thing, but I was a part of it still, you know, and I played a very active role in all of that. So, you know, I there was there was nothing for me to be unhappy about at this point, you know. So, eventually, uh, Mabel would have a feud with. The Undertaker, and I guess you know, in, in somewhat of an injury would happen to the Undertaker. But was there legit heat between Taker 
And Mabel, could you hear stories of, you know, some backstage altercations with them? But okay. what, was your, what was your overall, you know, take on, on The Undertaker and, and um, Mabel at that time? Okay. You know, um, here's why we left. We left uh, right after the Royal Rumble 96. Uh, there's been, there's been, you know, in, in the span of three years, there's been some injuries to some people in some matches. I mean, I can name them all, but I'm not going to sit here and go through all the names or what the injuries were, but, you know, people got hurt, you know, not deathly hurt, but it, people, there were, there were injuries. And so, um, the last incident that, that was, I guess you could consider somebody supposedly got hurt was, uh, and you can go back and look at this, at the Royal Rumble 96, there's a spot in there where Nelson splashes Henry Godwin. It's kind of close to the ropes right there. And uh, all I recall was I was uh, in one dress room, and there was this big-ass commotion in, in the other dress room. And when I went through the door and walked into the dress room, Undertaker was standing there with Nelson, and they were nose to nose. And Undertaker was going off. He's, I mean, he was, he was, he was like, you know, basically was saying to Nelson, "Look, you're 500 fucking pounds. You can't, you can't, you have to be careful. You can't just drop your weight on people. You know what I mean?" Yep. And uh, and so, you know, of course, this this is loud now. This ain't just we're talking, you know. <laughs> We're talking two of the biggest people in the company, you know. And so uh, J.J. Dillon comes in and separates us and uh, tells me and Nelson to go to the other dressing room. And, of course, we do. And people don't understand at this point in time, this is 19, this is 19, this is January 1996. Yeah, January 1996. Nelson is just, Nelson hasn't, hasn't even turned 22 years old. You know, he's he's 21 years old. You know, he he's had a job with WWE since he was 18, young kid. You know, off the street, pretty much off the street, because he had no education beyond high school. You know, so he was young. I mean, he was five ten, six. I mean, six ten, five hundred plus pounds. But Nelson was young. You know, by standards, you know, just not mature or whatever. So. Uh, of course, when we get back to the dressing room, you know, feeling like he just got chastised, whereas if that happened on the street, you know, it it would have been a whole nother. <laughs> it wouldn't have been no, you know, somebody walking in saying, man, y'all go, you know what I mean? It, it wouldn't mm-hmm. have been that kind of easy intervention. So Nelson looks at me and said, man, get your stuff. And I'm like, what, you, what what's going on? He's like, man, let's just go. And, you know, I drove the rental car. Nelson's 21. He can't drive the rental car. <laughs> so I'm having to drive the you know, rental car everywhere we go. So he said, let's go. Uh, you know, let's go. Right? It's my partner. So uh, we, we get ourselves together. And we get in the car and we leave. And we go home. You know, instead of going to Raw the next night, we go home. And then we call JJ up and said, JJ, you know, uh, we just we 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 just think it's time to go, you know. Huh. And 
we just want our release. And uh, JJ said, well, let me talk to Vince about it. He talked to Vince. Vince said, uh, we'll ask him to, ask him to uh, write us a letter, put it right, and get it notarized and send it back. You know, and in doing so, in, in, in sending the letter asking for our release, means we walked out on pay-per-view money and all of that. You know, we forfeited all that money to get our release. But then we couldn't do nothing for 90 days. But in our mind, you know, this is January, June the 12th, contract is expired. We can, you know, do whatever. And so the plan was to go to WCW. That's what the plan was. So what happened between then and that you didn't go to, you know, WCW, you ended up in the USWA again? Uh, well, we went back to USWA and we was working there. We was just buying our time to go to WCW. The week before we were supposed to show up in WCW was when uh, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash showed up in WCW. Hmm. So along, along with them showing up in WCW, and because they showed up in a in a in a you know in a top spot, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You got to imagine we walked away from heat with with some people in WWE when we walked away in January, carried over to WCW when they showed up, you know, because prior to them showing up, we had been having conversations, you know, about going there. So we was just waiting. We was just buying our time. We was going to go to WCW. But like I said, of course, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash showed up the day we supposed to, you know, call them back, you know, to work out coming on over. Uh, we call them up, and, and Bishaw says, uh, we're not saying we're not interested. We're just saying that we're not interested right now. You know, that was that was what we got. And at that point, for me, I had already been through you know, so much bullshit, you know, with the whole Shawn Michaels thing that I just said, man, I'm just going to, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not even going to attempt to go to either one of them. I'm just going to do my own thing, you know, because anytime you you work somewhere in an environment that causes you to want to commit suicide, the best thing to do is, you know, and that's kind of how I felt at the time. I mean, I don't feel that way now, but at the time, that's kind of the way I felt. And so that's why I didn't, when when it came time in 99, when Nelson wanted to go back, I, you know, bro, go ahead. <laughs> I just, huh. I, 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 no. I wasn't feeling it, man. I wasn't feeling it. Now, when you got back into the USWA, you guys, you know, a little bit in, but you started the, the original nation of domination, PG-13 as well. I mean, this is the precursor to the WWF version, but what was it like right. in in that nation of domination? Did you feel like it was something that, you know, was a great gimmick to be a part of? Did you enjoy that, um, you know, that time in the USWA? Uh, you know, working there in Memphis was always fun, man, because it, you just didn't have – you just – you 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 just you didn't have the backstage politics, you know what I mean? It was like everybody worked to try to make that brand the best it could be, that TV show the best it could be, and everybody worked to get everybody else over. When you work up there in in the big pond, man, it's it's a dog eat dog world, man. You know, it's not it's not 
so and so saying, Man, come on, man, I'll uh I'll talk to the brass about working you and, and me putting you over to get you over. So eventually down the road, you know, we can have something that we can work. We don't have that, but in USWA it was kinda of different, man. You know, you can go to Jared and say, Look, you know, you know, uh if you don't have an idea, why why don't we try this? You know, you know, and 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 it was fun, man. It it, it was fun, man. It did working up there had turned into what it felt like was a job, man. You know, which was the which is the one reason you get into wrestling in the first place. You don't want to punch somebody else's clock. You know, feel like you got to get up at five o'clock in the morning, go into a factory and slave all day, and get off at five o'clock in the afternoon. To go home, clean up, eat, go to sleep, and do it again to the next day, and become the same old boy routine. Well, you know, it's it's almost the same, other than you know, tomorrow I'm in Chicago, the day after that I'm in California, you know. So I'm traveling, I'm seeing the world, and I'm seeing all these exquisite foods and all these glamorous women, and and you know, so there's perks to it that makes it worth it. You know, if you didn't have all those extra perks, it wouldn't be worth it. It was just the money. You can make money anywhere. So that's, that's kind of what happened. Yeah, that's kind of what happened. We 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 were we were on 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 queue to go to WCW and then Scott Hall and uh, uh, Kevin Nash showed up. You know, and 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 you know. Um, you know, if you if you've uh, I don't know if you've seen this, but there's a video out there circulating on YouTube uh, where Kevin Nash talked about uh, Nelson hurting people. Yeah. So so him thinking that and him saying that in that video, you know, you know I'd already assumed this, but leads me to assume that you know in his mind, you know that's what the thinking was when. We was trying to make the jump to WCW, and those guys showed up over there. That somebody said to Bischoff or whoever, "Nah, you don't want those guys." You know what I mean? You take a chance of somebody getting hurt or whatever. Now, do you do you think so on an interview like that where Nash? I know exactly the one you're talking about because uh, it, it's like you know, it's one of those that always kind of pops up in the uh, the sidebar. But do you think a guy like Nash? is playing it up for an interview like that to try to, you know, turn some heads by calling out. I don't think that Nelson, you know, had passed away when that was recorded, but you think he said no, something like that as a means? No, I said, do you think he said something like that as a means really to just turn some heads? And obviously we all, we've already talked about the click you know, to death, but, you know, to, to single a guy out like that and say he was hurting people in the ring, you know, he was saying, you know, talking about the Samoans getting hurt, you know, do you think a guy like Nash has an agenda to just kind of bury certain people, but, you know, there's really no rhyme or reason to it? I think that uh, in that interview, uh, he spoke the truth about people getting hurt. There's, I, there's, there's no me sitting here talking to you about that interview. I'm not disputing what he said in that interview because he's speaking the truth about people getting hurt. What he's not saying is number one, Nelson was young; he was still a teenager, uh, and, and nobody ever, nobody ever made the effort to pull him to the side 
and talk to them and explain to them, you know, how to how to make things work, you know, how to how to loosen up on certain things. You know what I mean? Nobody tried to mentor the kid. You know, and he was as green and I was as green as he was, so I couldn't I couldn't mentor him. You know what I mean? But if 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 Taker I'm just using Taker as an example. I'm not trying to throw Taker under the bus or nothing like that. I'm just using this as an example. But if Taker had pulled Nelson to the side and said, hey, bro, when you do this, do it in this way, because the most important thing here is is to work light, real light. You know what I mean? Right. Nobody ever, nobody ever tried, Nobody ever tried to mentor us in that way at all, ever. Even when somebody got hurt, nobody ever said, hey, you know, it was always, you know, you chew somebody out. You know, Look, man, chewing somebody out gets absolutely no results when when they screw up. What you do when somebody screws up is you let them know what, how they screwed up, and then you let them know how to prevent them from screwing up again. You know what I mean? Right. You don't just chew yep. somebody out and hoping that the, the ass chewing fixes the problem. That, no, that you know. So in the, in the, I don't think he said it trying to turn his. I think he said it trying to. I think he said it trying to bury Nelson. Yes, I believe that at the time when he said, it, I thought I think you know he was speaking the truth. Yeah, uh, 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 Fatu got injured in one show. Uh, yeah, Taker got injured at one show, you know, but these were all accidents, though. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't that he was being reckless or something like that. These were all, I mean, legitimate accidents. I mean, how many people have gotten their noses broke? You know what I mean? Draws yeah. is in a wheelchair. Draws is in a wheelchair. Accidents happen. You know what I mean? I'm not, and I'm not trying to minimize anything. I'm just saying the accidents happen, but when they happen, you know, somebody step up to the plate to mentor the young guy and say, "Hey, you know, do things this way." You know, and and I think that, uh, and when he went back, when he went back in '99, when he went back in '99, you know, he went back, but he had. He had gone away. He had stayed away long enough to work on how to work lighter. And because and, if you look at some of his stuff, you think, man, you 500 pounds. That looks so weak what you're throwing there, you know. But it's because he learned how to adjust. You mm. know, if somebody, if somebody just pulled him to the side in the beginning, it wouldn't have been that, you know. <laughs> you know, somebody said, look. You know, some of the things that you do, you don't need to do because you're 500 pounds. You know, because Nelson's way of thinking was, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do things that people wouldn't expect me to do, or expect me to be at, be able to do. You know what I mean? Just like the spin wheel kick. You know, 500 pounds of spin wheel kick. It's impressive. You know what I mean? But 500 pounds, you don't need to do that. You see, and so right. some of the things that he done, or some of the things he done, 
where he lost his body and he didn't have any control. You know, he just had to land. People got hurt. Somebody just said, bruh, you know, less is better. You don't have to do all this, this, and this. You don't have to do that stuff to, you know. So the video, the 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 thing, Nash was telling the truth. You know, I just think that, you know, it was, it was just, it was done in a way to just bury Nelson. Right. And it wasn't, and it wasn't, it wasn't necessary, but, you know, but I think they met so Nelson told me that they met somewhere in an airport. They were they were traveling somewhere. They met in the airport and uh, they had a chance to sit down over over some coffee or beer or something and talk and hash everything out. So everything was cool. He loved Kevin or whatever. He didn't hold no grudges or anything. So and that was prior to him passing. He told me all that. So you know everything was cool. But yeah. He pretty much tried to throw Nelson under the bus with that. He was truthful in the, in some of the names of people that got injured, you know, Taker and uh, and Fatu, you know. So he was he was truthful. That you know, some things, man, some things just ain't ain't you know, just don't need to be talked about. I think, but that's just me. I feel you on that. One thing that you mentioned before that I really uh, wanted to touch upon because it, you know, it definitely sparked my interest because it's so true, and we actually had Kamala on the show not too long ago, and he mentioned the same thing. He would get the low payoff, and you know, Undertaker or Hogan, whoever will get the you know they get the high payoff, they get you know a lot more money. So right. we kind of we kind of begged the question. We kind of said was was Vince McMahon racist? Do you think? And he basically said Vince was more racist than you know than Hulk Hogan was. Did you see any of that, or do you agree with any of those comments? Do you think that perhaps we're looking the wrong way? Maybe Vince is a little racist with uh, some of the way, you know, some of the actions that he's done over the many, many years. Uh, you know what? I don't. I don't. I don't want to say. I don't want to say uh, that Vince is racist. I want to say that Vince is a uh, a businessman that. Values people differently. Hmm. And when I say that, I, when I say that, I say it like this right here as an example. Uh, Vince McMahon takes two characters. Let's say a Hulk Hogan and let's say a Kamala, right? Mm-hmm. And say, okay, to his marketing team, okay, I want you to make this v- DVD of Hulk Hogan. And I want you to make this DVD of Kamala. And when we send it to print, I want you to print a million of these of Hogan, but I only want you to print 10,000 of these of Kamala. Why do you think that? Well, I guess you would think, you know, obviously Hogan would be a number one seller and probably Kamala would have more of a niche, I guess, audience. Right. And so, and so therefore... Uh, when when you match these two people together, even though they're in the same match, right? Mm-hmm. You're still saying to you're still saying that the draw in that match is Hogan. Yep, no doubt. So I, I wouldn't say that I think he's a racist. I, 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 I mean, if he was racist, he wouldn't have to use black people at all. 
you know, there's there's no affirmative action when you as a privately when you know before it was a privately held company before they went on the stock exchange, so they didn't have to answer to anybody. Truthfully, they could have just done whatever the hell they wanted to, and you know. So I, I don't think he's a racist. I mean, he's he's had Junkyard Dog there and on top. He's had Tony Atlas and Rocky Johnson there on top. You know, he's had a number of Hispanic wrestlers there on top. You know, so I I, I wouldn't say he's he's just a full blown racist. I just say that he values people differently. In other words, when he looks at Kofi Kingston. Kofi Kingston's market value is probably going to be a lot less than John Cena's market value or a lot less than the Miz's market value. And so if I put Kofi and John and Miz in a match together, you know, of the two that I think is the biggest superstar, I'm going to pay him more. Hmm. And it's got nothing to do with race. It's just got something to do with, okay, I'm going to put Miz in a match against uh I'm going to put Miz in the match against uh, uh, The Rock. Am I going to pay the Miz more? Well, he'll know. Why am I going to pay The Rock more if I'm if I'm a racist? Right. You know, you'd find a reason not to pay The Rock more if you're a racist, right? Yep, true. Nope. You know, he just, I think he's a businessman and he values people differently. You know, and I've been on the promoting side of that too. So, uh, you know, when I when I go to book somebody, you know, I look at how long they've been in the ring. I look at look at I look at some of their matches, and you know, will fans pay after they see this person the first time? Will fans pay to come back and see this person? So then, that's how I figure what I think that person is worth to what I'm doing. So it, 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 you know, so you you have to put a value. I mean, it's it's like buying a car, man. You look at a Hyundai Elantra and you look at a Mercedes Benz. You know, or no, let, let's do it like this: you look at a Toyota Corolla, and then you look at a Lexus, right? Which one are you yep. gonna pay the most for? The Lexus, correct? Right? But they're both made by Toyota. They're both made by Toyota. It's the same company. They make both cars. Toyota makes the, the, the Lexus. It's the same. It's the exact same car. <laughs> they just changed the logo on it. If you look at it, look at a Lexus, a Toyota Corolla, and then uh, and, and a Lexus. It's the same car, and it's made by the same company. But the Lexus logo is worth more than the, the Corolla logo. It's just, it's, I don't think Vince McMahon is a racist. I'll tell anybody that. I can't call that man a racist that put food on my table, that fed my kids, that offered me an opportunity to go to college, that offered me a chance to go to rehab, though I never went because I was never a drug user. You know what I mean? And still to this day, if I call him up and ask for tickets to an event, always give them to me, whether it's one ticket or ten tickets. They always say yes. I can't call a man a racist that does all of that. You know what I mean? I just think yep. he values people differently. And, in, and so everybody else, because they're not getting what they would, because they thinking they deserve, you know, more or whatever. 
and they don't get it, then, you know, then they want to label the guy, look, here's the way this works. Before you go into a pay-per-view match with anybody, you can have a conversation with Vince and say, Vince, what am I getting paid for this match? And Vince is either going to say, you're going to get this amount of money or you're going to get this amount based on the numbers that the pay-per-view draw. And then you can say, Vince, well, you know, I think I need to get at least $20,000. This is just an example. Vince is going to look in his mind and he's going to think. He already got an idea of what the pay-per-view is going to do. He's going to say to himself, can I afford to give this guy twenty grand for that match? He's going to say yeah or nay. And if he don't want to get held up nine times out of ten, he's gonna probably say, No, I'm not gonna give you twenty grand. <laughs> you know what yep. I mean? Because yep. if I give you twenty grand and you think you can come to me every time, I put you in a pay per view and demand a certain amount of money. You know, which leads us back to the initial question that you asked me in the beginning about him taking care of, you know, people that lead the company that sick and injured and all that stuff. Look, if he opened the floodgates for one person you know how many people out there that's worked for him that's going to have their hands stuck out for money? Right. No. My opinion is he don't owe anybody nothing. That includes me. No. You know, might not be a popular answer amongst my peers, but no. No. And I, I made, I, I had the same conversation with some people about, there was a big issue uh, a few weeks ago. Four, four Marines, three Marines and a Navy uh, officer, uh, got killed in Chattanooga, Tennessee, by somebody claiming to be with ISIS, right? A terrorist, yeah. mm-hmm. you know. And, and and everybody was pissed off because uh, supposedly Obama didn't lower the flag and have masks at the White House. So everybody in, in the United States is calling him all these kinds of names and pissed off about it or whatever. Okay, I understand how y'all feel or whatever, but let me just ask you one question. If we lower that flag at half mass for those four guys that got in Chattanooga, right? Right. Then that flag might as well just stay at half mass because two days after that, three guys, three soldiers got killed in Afghanistan, a helicopter crashed, and, a, and, and some soldiers got killed, and then some more soldiers got killed in Iraq. Can we lower that flag half mass every time we lose a soldier? No. We might as well just, if we're going to try to do that, we might as well just take it down altogether. It can't be done. People don't, people don't use common sense. It just can't be done. And by the same token, you know, there's thousands of wrestlers that have gone through WWE and worked that went through WCW, that went through USWA, that went through AWA, that went through uh, UWA, that went through Mid-South, went through World Championship Wrestling. Thousands of us went through all these companies and had injuries and, and concussions and broken necks and spinal injuries. But what? We're trying to hold Vince McMahon responsible for all of that? No, that's not right. Very, very true. Now, as we no. uh, wind it down a little bit here, always ask this, you know, amongst a, a veteran of, of the squared circle like yourself, do you have a favorite match or maybe matches that you've had in your career that really stand out to you as your favorite? Favorite match? Uh, 
I guess it would be pay-per-view, uh, the in-your-house pay-per-view when Nelson and I worked uh, Scott Hall and Savio Vega. Hmm. Very nice. I remember that quite well. Do you also yeah. have a guy, you know, that you consider a favorite opponent, some guy that you love working, you know, you had great chemistry together. Do you have a favorite opponent? Uh, that would have been Owen Hart. I worked quite a few matches with him. You know, and it was always fun, man. It was yeah, always fun. Yep. Owen, oh, one of the best. Oh, and now man. we... Well, we usually, you know, well, one of the things that we always love to say is, uh, you know, what's the legacy, you know, what you've done in the business or what's, you know, where do you see yourself in five years? But the business is so, it's just changing so often, it seems. And, you know, you still, uh, you're, it seems like you still have a great grasp on what's going on. But where do you see the overall industry going in the next couple of years and, you know, with how the WWE has really uh, cornered the market of the, uh, you know, the North American and almost the whole global scene. Like, what do you see the whole entire business going from here? In five years? You know what? Uh, in general, really. I, you know what? I, I think that, uh, I think that what you're going to have is you're going to have WWE <coughs> and uh, they may not be united. But you you gonna have you gonna you gonna have just territories pop up all over the place again. Right. You're gonna have those. You, you you're gonna have small territories pop up all over the place again because uh, what's happening is as WWE as as WWE grows and the the uh, the they bring in the the younger talent and then the older talent. Phases out. Those that don't make a lot of money that still love it and want to wrestle, you're going to see them all over the place in these independent companies. You know, and those and those independent companies are getting so much better. They're drawing bigger shows because they're doing more. They're doing more fan interaction stuff, right? Than what WWE does. You know, uh, if you if you're a fan and you want to interact with the talent with WWE. You have to spend, you know, you have to buy that big uh, VIP backstage pass that's as close to interacting. You're going to get with the talent. You got to spend a lot of money. Whereas right. on the smaller on the smaller indie shows, um, you know, I don't I don't know if you ever get out and watch any of them, but they're drawing big numbers. These indie shows are drawing big numbers. Right, you know, so and they're springing up everywhere. So I just I think WWE is always going to be where they are. I don't think they're always going to be you know killing it in the rating, but I think you're gonna you're gonna there's there's not going to be a way that you know in the past coming out coming out of WWE it was always hard to find work as an indie guy. And now it's easy, man. There's a company. There's a company on every corner. Might not be a big company. It might not be a great company. But there's a company on every corner. And, you know. And if you can get kind of the money you want, you can stay busy enough to, you know. So. Yeah, it's much easier to make a living now in the indies than uh, maybe it was five, 
or 10 or maybe even 15, you know, years ago into the right. end of the 90s. But, uh, right. well, you know, this has been this has been an experience. It's been an education. We really, really appreciate all the time tonight. Before we let you go, just please tell, uh, tell the listeners of the two-man power trip of wrestling where they can find everything that there is that you got out there. Well, uh, of course, every Thursday night, uh, every Thursday night at uh, every Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern time, uh, you can hear myself, Oscar, and Dreamy Mimi, which is Oscar's wife, uh, on uh, Not Your Mama's radio show, part of the uh, Pipe Bomb Radio Network. Uh, myself and my new tag team partner, Lord Dion, Ceremony Lord Dion of Mom 2K, are all over the place right now coming uh, to a town near you. Spend most of our time right now internationally in Canada and overseas. Uh, there's uh, quite a few signings where you can see myself and Oscar, uh, a few comic cons or whatever. Uh, and if you just want to follow um, – uh, Sir Mo Men on a Mission. Uh, you can just look us up at Bobby Horn. That's B O B B Y H O R N E dot com, and uh, you'll you'll see everything that's going on with Sir Mo Oscar, uh, Lord Dion with Mom Men on a Mission, and uh, Not Your Mama's Radio Program. Awesome! Yeah, this has been uh, this has been fantastic. This is where uh, where we're gonna cut it. We really appreciate the time, man. This was. Uh... This is out of this world. I'm telling you, it's stuff that you said tonight that I definitely, uh, I never heard before, and uh, I'm floored by it. So thank you so much for sharing. It's not a problem, man. It's not a problem.